We read about the martyrs for Christ in Revelation 6, verses 9 to 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. Welcome to Souls Under the Altar, a program that reviews the stories of God's persecuted from the past and the present. Your host for this program is Etienne McClintock. Dear listener, greetings and a warm welcome. Thank you for joining me on the program again today. I'm delighted to have your company, and I have a very special guest on the program today. It's Dr. Daniel Shayester, and he is with me via Skype. Dr. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us on the program. I'm pleased to have you come and share with us. Pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Hmm. Now, I know that initially, uh, or a few years ago, you were living in, uh, in Sydney, in Australia, but you're now based in the United States. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Um, my ministry is an apologetic ministry, evangelistic ministry. Um, discuss more about religions, comparative things, and uh, the major part of our ministry also reaching out to Muslims. So we have got a project now. 22 of my teachings uh, uh, were recorded. We are translating and voicing over in 12 other languages to target almost a billion Muslims. And so we have a branch here in Sydney, Australia, another one in America, and uh, trying to travel to you know other countries and speaking, you know, churches in universities. Sometimes I have opportunity to speak in to politicians in parliaments, and just uh, you know uh, uh, spread the word of God. Oh, praise God! So when you're saying you're targeting over a billion Muslims, is most of that translated into Arabic, or is that the original language you've recorded the programs in? So far, it is translated um, into Farsi and okay, which is the Iranian uh, language. Yeah, it's an Iranian language, Persian, Iranian, Afghans, and Tajikistan. They speak the same language. Okay. And then uh, Turkish, uh, Arabic, Swahili. We have done, and we are working on Indonesian and uh, and Urdu. The Chinese Mandarin, the first draft has finished, so there are some work to be done on it. Wow, okay, this is quite a comprehensive program. So even into Pakistan, we're translating it into Urdu. Yes, yes. Mm, fantastic. Yeah, there, are, there are 12 major languages that Muslims speak in the world. Right, and you're targeting each one of those. Yes. Oh, praise God, and we do wish you every success, and we'll keep that uh, your ministry and your prayers. Obviously, a very important ministry and a big part of Earth's population that needs to hear the gospel. Amen. I mean, we need really prayers. It's a, it's a huge project, and uh, it's a convincing project too. Mm. Praise God that uh, there are people like you uh, reaching out to to the, our Islam brothers to to share the good news of the gospel. Now, yeah. Doctor Daniel, you were not born a Christian. Can you perhaps tell us a little bit about your background? Yes, I was born in a Muslim family in the northern part of Iran, and my father had two wives and 12 children. Wow. They were all living together. So I was the one nominated for a religious thing, you know, encouraged by my parents to learn Islamic rituals, memorize the Quran. And from the age of nine, I was a famous boy in the area, called to the 
to different various Islamic uh, rituals to, uh, you know, ceremonies to, uh, you know, perform Islamic rituals and, uh, you know, recite the Quran. And so um, from childhood, I learned that Islam should be the only dominant religion in the world and Muslims have obligation to contribute in any possible way and even in, in the way of jihad to uh, make it happen. So after that, I entered the university. In the university, I became a follower of um, Ayatollah Khomeini. And I, have, I, I, was, I was first a member of uh, you know, uh, communist uh, group in, in the university, but uh, later on, uh, you know, just discovered that there must be a God for the universe and uh, consequently and joined Islam because I didn't know any other religion. Right. Well, that, that's interesting that you actually joined the communist group even with your education and upbringing in the Quran. Yes, the reason for that was very much um, political and emotional. You know that Islam is a political religion, and if you're not happy with the leader, you can reject the leader, uh, okay. even, though, even though at the cost of your life. So what happened? I became a poor student and uh, ended up sleeping under a bridge. I was a very sharp student, too, so that made me angry at the ruling king and also at God. Yes. You know, complaining to the God of Islam that for years I was a righteous Muslim praying to you, but you have led me to sleep under the bridge. So you see, it's a emotional, it's a political, you know, uh, revolution against God too. Okay, so you were a little bit disillusioned, I guess, with Allah, and also disillusioned with the with the ruling government at the time. Exactly. I mean, also the social and political uh, injustice inside the country. So that caused me to be angry at the ruling king too. And if you, in the, unfortunately, it's a Middle Eastern culture. If you are angry at someone or a system, you join any other opposition, no matter they are matching you or not. So we joined Ayatollah Khomeini and gradually was drawn to him and accepted him as our leader. And uh, so you remember that in uh, 79 years before, we did riots inside the country and uh, eventually the king of Iran left and we captured the country and uh, allowed Ayatollah Khomeini to lead the country by Islamic law. Yeah, wow. I remember seeing that on the news as a young person. I was only about 12 years old at the time when this happened. But uh, that that was backed by the U.S., wasn't it? I think President Jimmy Carter, wasn't he supporting the Ayatollah at the time? Yeah, Jimmy Carter, Francois Mitterrand, unfortunately, they did that because they wanted to stop the Russian invasion as Russia did to Afghanistan they were afraid that Russia would capture Iran too so they needed a radical Islamic government to stand in front of Russia but they didn't know that radical government would uh, uh, turn on you as uh, you remember that so um, they they captured the American embassy uh, you know uh, that's right that's that's the mistake, unfortunately, always Western countries do. That simp- it is simply because they do not know the nature of Islam, that's the political religion, and, and committed Muslims. Hmm. So, so Islam is really a theocracy. It is uh, considered a religion that is governed under Allah or under God, and therefore religious law and civil law are interchangeably. They, they, they're one and the same thing, really, aren't they? 
Yeah, exactly. It's just uh, the polit politics is in the priority. They need to occupy no matter what the cost is. Even even if I need to kill my brother or mother or father, that, that's okay because Islam is the goal and it it should be established. Mm. Now, is that widely taught uh, by Islam or the Quran? Because we are typically taught that there is a extreme element in Islam and then there's a more moderate element. So when you were reciting the Quran and learning it from nine years old, were those principles or elements uh, of jihad and that, was that embodied in your teachings when you were growing up? Exactly. It's, they are written in the Quran and, uh, and also... Uh, you know, Muslims are using Muhammad's lifestyle and all Islamic judiciary books and the ancient Islamic judiciary books and tradition. So it is Islamic and the moderate Islam is not in the Quran. I mean, Quran has around 300, over 300 harsh words for establishing Islam in any caste and even killing Muslims who are not uh, happy for the establishment of Sharia law. They are all from the Quran. Okay, so people who are moderates, are perhaps you can consider them as nominal Muslims? They're not really committed to the, uh, to the teachings as the, the ones who we consider to be more extreme? Yes, I mean, that moderate Muslim is rejected in Islam. And even, even Quran chapter 9, verse 23 says to little children, to the, you know, uh, immature children that reject the guardianship of your Muslim father if he is not committed well to Islam. So imagine that uh, moderation is fully rejected in, in the Quran. And actually, Quran says, you know, uh, those who are sitting at home, that they are not taking part in Islamic war, and they are infidels, and the law for infidels in the Quran is killing. Wow. Okay. So, but that's that's very clear. And obviously, a person that uh, has known the Quran from the age of nine would be uh, well equipped to actually explain that to, to us who are less uh, uh, informed in the West. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. So, you joined the Iranian Revolution to get the Ayatollah Khomeini um, on on the throne, so to speak. And uh, then things do things change, or this uh, gives you the realization of all your hopes and expectations as a, as a person. It changed, unfortunately, and we didn't know that Ayatollah was deceiving us. I mean, we, we knew that deception for the spread of Islam and for serving Allah is legitimate, but we didn't know that Ayatollah, as a righteous person, would deceive his own brothers, you know. But it's, Islam it has a funny culture that if you're the most righteous person for the cause of Islam, still you can deceive the less righteous person. So he saw us less righteous. I mean, the deception was not individual. He did that for the sake of Islam, to overcome and to take over. Um, okay. He was to establish Islam in Iran. He promised us young people that he would establish social justice and political justice and people uh, would have freedom and benefit from the oil money. But after that, he passed a resolution in the parliament that he had sovereign power and nobody had the right to criticize him. And then he sent the entire money of the country to Palestinians and then established Hezbollah in Lebanon and sent there and also to Syria just to put the entire money of the country for capturing Israel. And Iran became poorer and poorer. We were suffering. People were suffering. We told him, let us make our people stronger. If we are strong, then we'll be able to capture Israel. But he was just crazy. He wanted to do the job in a few days. 
Um, and he didn't know it is impossible to capture Israel with that power if you do not have power. Right. So that was the tension. And eventually, actually, that caused us to win the government. One of my colleagues became the president. The first president of the country was my colleague. Um, but that angered Ayatollah Khomeini. Ayatollah Khomeini was still the chief commander of the Revolutionary Army. So he was disappointed because of, um, you know, his uh, loss in the, you know, uh, election. Mm. And so he attacked the government and wanted to kill the president. President escaped, government was demolished, some were killed, some escaped. I was one of them, caught and put in a, a death cell, waiting on death row with four others. Wow. And, As a political prisoner now. Yes, yes. Uh, all four in my cell, there were many other people in other cells were slaughtered. But in my cell, also those four were killed. But I was, you know, uh, you know, uh, released by the help of some people, very influential people who were in the party of Ayatollah, and uh, so they uh, played some game, risked their lives, you know, because they loved me very much and mm. they cared for me. They knew that, you know, they knew my past, and so uh, I was temporarily released and. Uh, able to be in order to be able to escape from Iran to Turkey so I escaped to Turkey well praise God for that because obviously God had other plans for you and saw the Absolutely. work that still needed to be done that uh, no one else was perhaps doing amazing I mean I mean I have amazing stories with Jesus even I was um, a Muslim all of those stories now are telling me that he had a plan for me and even the death penalty that the government issued on me you know, that, that didn't happen because of the sovereign power of Jesus. Amen. Yeah, the, powerful. So, But you're not a Christian at this time. You you are released because of friends within the government, and then you, you have to flee for your life. Where do you go? Yeah, I went to Turkey. Um, in Turkey, um, Turkish is my mother language. From childhood, I knew Turkey, so I spent a little bit more time to learn the Turkish in Turkey and write it. And then entered the university to do my doctorate. The major of my doctorate is about cultures, religions, and philosophical beliefs. So I had to compare all world religions, um, major religions and beliefs, and to see in what way they, you know, impact their, you know, adherence. You know, for example, politically, in leadership-wise and uh, social uh, values, uh, organizational values, work ethic, and. Uh, Morality, a whole lot of other things that involve, um, you know, uh, the the businesses in the world because they are the major thing now in international corporation and businesses. Right. So um, I had to compare around ten world's major beliefs and uh, to see in what way they put impact on, on their followers. And uh, it, I was. Even though I was disillusioned with Islamic politics, but I was still thinking to find some good logical things about Islam. I never thought about Christianity because we're from childhood we were brainwashed that Christianity is the worst religion and most, um, I mean, the worst religion opens the door wide to immorality, doesn't have any power really to stop immorality, something like that. Mm. They were taught really to find good things there, but I was shocked and surprised, shocked for Islam, that Islam was the worst among all religions, actually. Wow. And even paganism. And um, But Christianity was the number one in every way of life, like uh, 
for example, leadership in, in Christianity is a flat participative leadership. In other words, you know, spiritually speaking, a modest, um, a humble leadership that allows followers to express themselves. There is no limit on followers. And uh, if there is no any limit on you, then uh, you can express yourself and you become a creative person because ideas come across each other and you would be you will be able to find the best idea creativity needs freedom mm. and that's why god created people as as uh, as free and and that actually you know uh, contribute to contributes more to this if you call god as your father when god is your father that means there is not at all any barrier between you and god god not only created you as free, but he respects your autonomy because he knows if you're autonomous and then you'll be able to understand him well and establish the best relationship with him or allow him to establish the best relationship with you. But the scenario is different in Islam. In the Quran, God is called master and the followers called our slave, called a slave. There is no any intimate relationship, everybody knows, between a slave and master. And that's why there is no freedom in Islam. So you see the freedom, the source of freedom, and the source of contemporary civilization in the Western countries all from Christ. And uh, that just amazed me. That was the first revolution, you know, educational and spiritual revolution in my mind, changing my worldviews towards, yeah. towards Christianity. Of course, it didn't make me a Christian. Sure. It just changed my worldviews towards Christianity. Mm. Yeah, that reminds me of that text in Hosea where God actually says, in that day you will no longer call me master, but you'll call me my husband. So that's that intimate relationship that the God of the Bible offers each one of us. It's no longer a master-slave relationship, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. Mm. Is, this is what amazed me from the Bible. It's an amazing book. By, I mean, if we um, look at the Bible and read it from every angle, you know, not only spiritually, but um, politically and socially, morally, ethically, in every way, philosophically, doctrinally, it's just an amazing book. It's, uh, that's, that's amazed me. So you, you you're studying this. You're studying ten different religions. You come. You confronted with the Christianity as the Bible teaches it, and you are amazed at what you find. But you're not a Christian yet. What is it that actually makes you become a Christian? I I, I was a partner to a, to a man who had a small business. He was an Iranian Muslim in Turkey, and we became friends. He invited me to put my money with his and make capital larger and make more money. So I did. But unfortunately, he took all my money and he's escaped to Germany. Oh. I couldn't chase him legally because the company was under his name. Then I tried to find a friendly way to approach him, but I didn't know any of, of his friends in Turkey. Uh, but one day I remember that he was in, there was, there was a Christian group coming to him sometimes. And um, I thought, if I, you know, shared my story with them, they possibly would be able to give me some ideas or even find his place for me in Germany. So that caused me to go to a church for the first time in my entire life and for my money, not for Christ. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so I went to the church and that story made them very sad because they never expected him to do that to other people because they helped him and... Uh, 
Um, anyhow, they, they just offered their help to me to find him in Germany. They had many friends in Germany. So that caused me to be in contact with them, to see them. Only they were available on Sundays because in other days they were working and uh, there was not any mobile phone in that time. Even I didn't have a phone. So if I wanted to see them, I had to go to their church on Sunday. And so that caused me also to listen to the listen their mes- to their messages about God. And, and back in Iran, I was also teaching about philosophy, but I never knew the philosophy of God in the Bible was different to the philosophy of God in Islam and other religions. I heard from these people teaching that God in the Bible is the personal God, whereas God in Islam and other religions are not personal. They do not reveal themselves. They do not have that, you know, characteristic Mm. for personal relationship. But these people were saying that God in the Bible is personal and he can have personal relationship with you if you allow him. And that their their description about this uh, characteristic of God was very convincing because if God is not personal, then he cannot have image, he cannot have mind, you cannot attribute mind to God. If God doesn't have mind, therefore he doesn't have plan. If he doesn't have plan, then he doesn't have any action. So it really sat in my brain and in my heart. It convinced me. I said to myself, yeah, that's right. If I am a personal being, I must be created by a personal being, by another personal being. So that was very, very attractive, and uh, it drew my attention more to listen to them, and gradually I'm forgetting even I have lost my money, because that philosophy was very, very, um, you know, um, wonderful, yeah. very, very, very delicious, if I can say that. Sure. So if you, if you forget your money that you've lost by this, it must have had a profound impact on you. It's just amazing. It's really amazing. I praise God that he allowed me to lose that money and to find myself in in Christ. So that was drawing my attention. And later on, and also I had a dream. The following Sunday, I went to the church. I heard my dream from the pulpit. That amazed me too. So those... That dream, their teachings, my university study, all came together and encouraged me to read their book. I grabbed the New Testament and I started to read the New Testament. New Testament is an amazing book. It's an amazing God philosophy book among all other religions' book. New Testament not only reveals the true God to you, but relates to you to God, it relates God to you, puts your hands in the ha- hand of God and uh, unites you with God. Mm. Such an amazing book. So Amen. I finished the book for the first time, and then I realized the God of Islam cannot be um, um, an external God, existing God. In other words, he cannot be the true God. Such a God cannot exist. And it's a, it's a God made in the image of a man, uh, uh, true God cannot have those characteristics. Yes, well, that's that's very profound as I'm listening to you because there are many who would actually say that Allah and the God of the Bible is just one and the same God. It's just a different uh, revelation. And you're saying that that's not the case. Absolutely not. God of Islam has absolute characteristics of pagan gods. You know, it's just I have written four books. You know, they are described, you know, in, in, in four books in different ways. 
And it's absolutely is not true. I'm rank and file Muslim Christians are saying that, but they don't have knowledge about the Bible and, and the Quran. They are saying that. So then I started to read the gospel for the second time. That was the time the love of Christ really hit, you know, hit my brain and heart. It was amazing, not only spiritually, logically I, I was convinced that if your life is not based on unconditional love, it, it, it will not be at all possible for you to have a fair and peaceful relationship with other people. Mm. Because a conditional relationship creates a conditional peace and relationship. And therefore, it's a self-centered relationship. And therefore, you need to have an unconditional motivation for that. And Jesus not only spiritually is right, he logically and rationally is right too. So... I said, I have to give my heart to him. And I gave my heart to him. And after that, my wife and children joined me. And uh, they saw the change in my life, especially my wife. She heard that she was terrified first, but gradually saw that those changes were amazing. And she showed interest. And then she had a dream. Her dream was written in the Bible. And um, after that, she her heart became softer toward Jesus. And uh, she read the gospel seriously and then joined the uh, Christian Ladies Bible Study and eventually she gave her heart to the Lord. Well, praise God. So God speaks to you through his word. Your witness yeah. speaks to your wife. She starts looking at the gospels, but God speaks to her through a dream just like he spoke to you as well. Yes, indeed, indeed. Well, yeah. we praise God for that because I've often heard now that, you know, where the gospel sometimes can't reach people in uh, restricted countries and, and Muslim countries, that God actually reaches them quite often through dreams. And they have dreams either about Jesus or about his second coming, and they cannot forget about God. I even know of examples here in Australia where that has happened to people and they secretly worship God. Exactly. I mean, dream doesn't make you a Christian, but sure. it, it motivates you to search why this is happening. Amazing dreams are just making you curious to search, and eventually God leads you to a Christian or to a church and uh, or read the gospel, and then uh, you uh, find the light in Jesus and give your life, your life to Jesus. We praise God for that. You know, we, we believe that God actually always leads us back to his word. I think it's the Apostle Peter that actually says that we are born again, not through corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God. And that Amen. ultimately is what God leads us to. These others are just means to an end. We cannot survive on dreams alone because we know that even the enemy can, uh, can influence minds. Indeed. And I mean, you know, God by nature himself is a very evangelist. And that's why gospel says, he has never left uh, himself without any witness. So he's everywhere. Sometimes he speaks through dreams and visions, sometimes inside the culture. You know, I've been, you know, but that's my doctorate about cultures and religion. And also I've been in more than 40 countries. I have seen the witnesses of God in different nations that uh, he has created people in his own image and he, he never leaves them without any witness. And even he, even he doesn't, have possibly doesn't have left any witness in any culture, but in the consciences of people, there are witnesses of people. As, as, as we learn from Paul, Apostle Paul, he says, the law of God is written in the hearts of people and their consciences bear witness to that. So in other words, if we challenge people's consciences and uh, they, 
you know, that, that law of the conscience, which is coming from the Spirit of God, will lead their minds and their hearts uh, to listen, to evaluate, and uh, to, be, to open themselves for the best one. Amen. Thank you so much, Dr. Daniel Shester, for sharing your testimony and your story. I found it so encouraging and fascinating, but unfortunately, that's all we have time for today. I want to thank you for joining us and also look forward to hearing you when you speak at the Voice of the Martyrs Gala dinner uh, this weekend. Thank you. It's a, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure for me. Great. Thank you so much. Dear listener, thank you for joining us today. We look forward to catching up with you next time. Until then, God bless. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.